friends, welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. This podcast series furthers our mission to support our community as we seek to promote the advancement of women in the securities finance marketplace. We hope you leave today with a broader perspective or ideas about ways to further your network and career. Or perhaps a deeper education on important business changes in our marketplace. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be hosting today's Women in Securities Finance Perspectives podcast. I'm Niha Yadeshi. I co-head the global cross-asset financing team at Goldman Sachs, where I've been for over 16 years, and I'm an active member of Women in Securities Finance and a big fan of the organization. I'm pleased to introduce three guests for today's Women in Securities Finance podcast. We have two industry veterans, Craig Serbel, CEO of ESEC Lending, John Stracadenio, the co-founder of Appier Ventures, as well as special guest Morgan Hillenbrand, Director of Communications at TetraTech, the partners with organizations across the globe to increase gender equality, diversity, inclusion in male-dominated industries. I expect some of our listeners will have heard what I think was a great conversation at the recent IMM Beneficial Owner Securities Lending Conference. However, due to some tech issues, we don't have the recording from that session, but I'm excited to be able to speak to all of you again and have Morgan join us this time. The conversation today is focused on why the CEO, business leaders, investors, and executives should care about diverse teams. Both John and Craig have over 25 years experience in the securities finance market, where in addition to their current roles, they have held leadership positions at many organizations, including Scotia, State Street, Barclays, in both SEC lending and private brokerage teams. And they both have key roles to play to drive change and set culture in their organizations and lead by example for our marketplace in how they continue to diversify their teams and talent. So ultimately, this is a discussion about revenue. Diversity drives business success and better outcomes. And so we'll not only hear about why heads of business should care, but what are the real world obstacles in achieving more diversity and what resources are needed And so what we can do as leaders in our own organizations to affect change. So thank you all very much for joining us. So I'm going to go straight in and I would love to hear your perspectives and you guys jump in as you prefer. So first question, what are the cultural or structural barriers that prevent you from hiring and retaining more women and people of diversity in your organizations? I'll jump in first because I think the issue is a bit complex based on how things have evolved over time. And I think one of the most observable points that I've seen throughout my career is when trying to make a structural change, you're also dealing with confirmation bias or success bias. And it becomes challenging at a certain point when you're asked to provide revenue goals or performance goals, et cetera. And in the process of doing that, your natural inclination is to use the tools that you've been using all along that have produced success for you. I like to use the example of if you're a coach that just takes over a new professional team, if you're a head coach that just takes over a new football team, the tendency is that head coach will then begin to assign his own coaching staff based on how he or she has succeeded in the past in different various stages of their career. And I think that behavior, at least generationally over the last, I don't know how many years in our business, is very similar. When given a brand new set of responsibilities or given immediate targets, the inclination is to use the tools that you have used to achieve those objectives in the best way possible. 
if you take that human behavior and now think about changing it where you say, well, wait a minute, it is incredibly important that you perform, but it's also incredibly important that you perform by structurally changing the nature of the team. For someone that's been hardwired to deal it in a particular way, that becomes a challenge, right? That becomes a very difficult challenge and a reasonable challenge because they're using that life or death scenario in their mind of if I don't produce, I'm gone. So let me at least produce first, then I'll worry about structural change later. So as leaders, we're faced with that. We have been faced with that. Thinking about doing a good job my entire career, I've always wanted to make sure I put myself in a position and producing a team where I know I'm capable of succeeding. So one of the things that we have to look at is how do you begin the journey with these organizations so that they're already structurally diverse at the onset? And when they start winning, they're winning with diverse teams from day one. So their mind is not going back to hardwire and say, when that survival thought process of how do I win comes into play, they're picking the people that they grew up with where they're saying, I'm going to win because I know these guys have done it before. They don't really care about what the construct of the team was. They actually are using their success bias there, right? If that makes sense. That's one of the organizational and generational challenges that I think we're going to need to see happen to get where we want to be effectively. I agree with everything you said. And it's a challenge when you do want to succeed. The natural inclination is to bring along people who you know, and historically that may have been a non-diverse group for people like us. I think one of the ways to resolve that, though, is kind of twofold. One, I think we've got to do a lot of work in how we source our good candidates and resumes in general, because I know at ESEC Lending and in prior work, when you post a job description in the marketplace looking for a hire, you're going to more than likely get a high percentage of white male candidates in our industry. And historically, we've all said we're getting a lot of non-diverse candidates. What can we do about it? Well, the reality is we have to do something different, which is how do we source differently, which is you have to build relationships with a variety of groups, affinity groups that may have communities and populations that do have a lot of diversity. So when there's a job posted, you are getting a vast and a diverse resume source. And that's one way. The other way, I think, is using women's securities finance as an example is that we all believe, and I think just as kind of what John was saying, is you have to be able to trust somebody that you're bringing on, certainly as a senior person. And historically, what that has meant is you have to trust somebody that you've worked with before. Well, what you really need, I think, is you need to trust somebody of somebody that you know that may have worked with somebody before and know that they've been well vetted, know how they work in a group function and what they will bring to the table. And I think the exciting thing about that is women's securities finance is now building a huge network where if I have a job, that I'm posting a senior level job, I can go to a variety of sources and get really good information on really talented women in this case. And we should be doing that with multiple sources or multiple groups of affinity groups or community groups that will help us in that. Because the reality is we do want to hire the best people. And that's one way to actually get the sourcing that you need to do that. I think it's always going to be an ongoing challenge. As CEO, you have to push that message down because we don't want it to be a quoted discussion. We want it to be, we're hiring the best person available. And I think when you do that, you get really good sourcing and you have well-vetted individuals. You've got to be successful in that because you want to be successful. That's where we've been excited lately because we're getting some really good candidates that have been applying for jobs. And then over time, you get a diverse population. It's hard to change overnight. 
I think that's the reality, but we have to do a better job of starting that process now. Yeah, maybe I'll just jump in and reflect on these are really good and important points that both John and Craig are making. I mean, John talked about the structural barriers being doing things the way they've always been done, using the same tools and strategies because they've worked, which makes us comfortable. Craig also raising this issue of trust and wanting to hire people that we know who we've seen be tested. And while those have impacts on the structure of an organization, those are really psychological issues, cultural issues that affect an organization. And so one thing that we find in the course of our work to get at that is the importance of really doing deep men's engagement work with particularly hiring managers and middle managers, but the executive team as well, because we know the tone at the top is really important. So when you're in a male-dominated industry, you've got to focus on the influencers, and that tends to be the men. And there are a number of techniques that the Engendering Industries program uses to engage men in the workplace to start to try to shift knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors around gender equality that start to unlock our ability to change these structural barriers in a really strategic and tactical way. So just wanted to bring that point in on engaging men and working with the folks who are really influencing the situation in an organization. Yeah, I think that the ability for senior management to consistently be on message and to outlast what might be seen as an investment that might be impacting the next quarter's earnings is key here, right? So the real challenge, I think, in our industry, right, if you think about how it's evolved and how it's been concentrated and so dominated by white male population in particular, and then you add on these extra parameters such as you need to operate quarter to quarter. It's got to be better than last quarter. It has to be better than the guy that was doing it before you. It's got to be better than the team that your competitor here. And just because you're transitioning your team, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a shareholder base that's completely on board with you. So the strength and durability and the ability to kind of stay on message and be consistent by the C-suite there has to be resolved there. And what I find is that, and again, I think I'm hopeful that this is the last generation where the numbers are as skewed as they are, because I think, you know, we are making so many changes in terms of across the board and all businesses in making sure that we're approaching diversity at initiation, that I think that all these scenarios look a little bit differently But I think you have to have this ability to withstand the bad quarter is something that psychologically has to be diluted for change to happen quicker than it's currently happening. Because right Mm -hmm. now you think two bad quarters, I'm going to be shipped off to a different part of the organization in a negative context. And that's very powerful for individuals to overcome. Yeah, I think one of the things that Nehal mentioned early, from our perspective, when we we message this issue, it really is about success. It's about profitability. The statistics tell us that more diverse companies and groups are more successful than those that are not. I think that information is news to a lot of people. When I had my all-company meeting a month or so ago, I talked a lot about this. And when you think about it, it makes a ton of sense, right? Because if you're in an environment where people are enjoying work, all the people are enjoying work, 
it creates more loyalty, creates more continuity. For a CEO, for me anyway, in a small company, turnover is one of the worst things that can happen. And when you retain people and they are interested in coming to work, they're going to be better employees and the people around them are going to be better. So I think it makes perfect sense. I think we know by example and by experience that a workforce that enjoys working with each other is more successful and certainly easier to manage. And I think when people think about it in that way, I think they understand that. And in order to do that, you have to have, everyone has to be enjoying to be at work. So there has to be the move toward diversity. There has to be moved toward inclusion, equity, the things that people really value. You have to move toward that in order to get your full work staff and employee base on board with that. And I, I think that works. I think people understand it. And I think people relate to it in that way. I think the culture is super important right? And making sure that you have a culture in those organizations that makes sense. So an understanding is a starting point, but how do you actually make sure that you've got the right policies and the frameworks to influence that culture? Yeah. I want to share yesterday, there's a large power utility in Macedonia that our team has been coaching for the last seven years, actually. They've had incredible, incredible results in improving the number of women at the organization, particularly getting entry-level women into the organization. And so in a call with them yesterday, we were asking one of the executives, we're always trying to analyze like what factors have worked and what's not worked. And so she was articulating that she thinks implementing gender equality activities is only 50% of the equation and that the other 50% is communication. Kind of to Craig's point that if you're doing this set of interventions, but you're not constantly communicating what you're doing and why you're doing it, this is when you become at risk for blowback around things like quotas, for example, that you're just trying to get women in seats and there's not really anything more strategic behind that. And when I was at the finance industry conference in Miami last year, there was a consulting firm that presented a fair amount of data that they had collected from the finance sector. And one of the interesting stats that they gave was that in the surveys that they provided, they asked them, why should we be advancing gender equality in the finance sector? And I believe it was only 17%, I think was the number of folks said that it was for a business case, which is, you know, 99% of the reason why you would advance gender equality in a male dominated industry. It's not because women are better. It's not because people of color are better. White people are better. It's that diversity is better and that we're all coming to work and approaching our work through the lens of the experiences of our lives. And we all look at problems differently and we solve problems differently. And there's benefit in having that diversity on the team. And the, the data is just indisputable that companies that have more diverse executive teams, boards, management teams, these companies are more profitable. And so, yeah, you know, back to Craig's point, just constantly reiterating why we're doing what we're doing goes a really long way. It's really important. You've mentioned, I think, in some ways about your organizations and the role, but how do we think about the role of the CEO? So we talk about culture overall in the organization and having to do that, but what's the role of the CEO in managing that or the roles of leaders in their businesses? 
Well, I think as a CEO, you have to use both words properly here. You have to be a leader. And I think you have to encourage others to be leaders too, because I believe it can't only be the CEO. The CEO has to set the tone. The CEO has to deliver the message. But the CEO also has to recruit others that are willing and able to kind of deliver the same message. And it's got to be a constant one. And I think that ongoing message is really important. I mean, I think the business case is easy to say but you have to deliver on it. It has to be something that actually people see and play out. So the biggest challenge I think is we can't talk about the issue we've got to actually do, and we've got to be successful at actually implementing it too. So implementation from my perspective is really important because the challenge I see for most employees is that people think we're checking a box. People say, yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. So great, we're going to do it. But you know, if I, if I lay low for a couple of months, it'll blow over. Well, we have to show progress and we have to show success. We've got to celebrate the success and we've got to do all the little things like have diversity committees and we've got to engage all levels of the organization because that has been difficult. I'll be honest with you, that entry-level, middle-level groups within organizations, I thought were going to be the most enthusiastic about change and they're not. We have It's the same problems across all levels. So it's not one or the other and we have to do a lot of different things to satisfy a younger and more inexperienced work group versus a more senior, mature work group. You just have to be attuned to, you can't have the same implementation for everybody because you have to look and view those as a separate task. So I think it's hard work. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but it needs to be ongoing. And I think you have to show results. It has to be proof is important to people or else they'll think it's a quota system. And that's the thing we have to guard against the most. And Craig, any specific policies, examples of things that you've been doing at ESEC as you think about this? You mentioned now you think about hiring, but anything else you want to flag? Yeah, we've done a diversity committee. It's really important to put forth policies and procedures. We've joined forces with a couple of community groups to get us more diverse resume base. We are doing things that are social activities to get our community to have engagement outside the workplace. I think it's important for people to actually work from the office on occasion. I'm a big, big advocate of the hybrid model. I think it's good for everybody, but I really think it's important. And I think it's important as it relates to diversity inclusion discussions that people actually are at the workplace together once in a while, because you have to communicate with people live over Zoom is nice and it's efficient, but it's a task oriented technology. And in order to be innovative and creative and inclusive, you have to be talking and sitting next to your neighbor a couple of days a week. So I think that's part of this discussion. I think being back at work is an important function. And I think without it, it's hard for people to understand how to manage. It's hard for people without observing their boss. We all have bosses that are great. We've all had bad bosses, but you learn from listening. You learn not only from listening, but observing and observing in our business, what the client people are saying, what the traders are saying, what the operations people are saying. And you can't do that over Zoom. So I've tied that in to be part of this whole discussion. I think it's valid too, but you have to work at it because nowadays in order to create that environment, we have to do some extracurricular activity. We have to do some in-work activity to try to get people to be collaborative. So those are some of the things we're working on. That makes sense. John, anything you want to add from a leadership perspective, the role from the top and any stories, any experiences you might've had you want to add? Yeah, sure. First, I want to agree completely with Craig. And I think it's so important that the C-suite and the CEO specifically continuing the messaging and the rest of the organization realizing that it's real is incredibly important. Because I agree, the minute that there's a sense of a box checking or a quota, 
it loses and, and it's hard to regain credibility there, right? So I think, you know, I've seen scenarios where there have been in management scorecards, objectives related to making those objectives real as opposed to quotas and box checking is also a challenge, but at least it's a start and there's a move in a general direction and the communication is important. I think also when I transitioned into the venture capital world and through investments and taking a board oversight role as opposed to a CEO or a management role, your relationship's a bit different and you're now trying to open the startup to think about these issues where they haven't needed to think about them before. It gets challenging there as well because there's a lot more intense precision on what you need done. There's not as much money. You're managing your burn rate. You need somebody to do five specific things. You're going to go try and get the five people in the world that know exactly how to do that. So when the conversation becomes, hey, we have to think about this at some point when we are in the capital raising mode and we do not want equity, diversity, inclusion to be a rearview mirror item. We want people to know that we've been thinking about this from day one. Right. And even if survival was the objective day one, we had a plan to get to the point where we were thinking about this and adopting all of the benefits of diversity and the benefits that it has on performance into our game plan going forward. And that becomes a really interesting discussion because, you know, especially in scenarios where these organizations are strapped for resources. But yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, the, the last point is that coming out of the pandemic and the hybrid work model, it made me think about, I think we talked about this a little bit, some of the mistakes I've made as well. When I was managing a group prior in my career of traders, I had a person ask me for a four-day work week and I said, I can't do that. How am I telling women that are sales and trading that they can't have this was many years ago, that they can't have a hybrid work week. How am I going to allow you to do it? I just can't do it. And if there was a benefit in terms of what we're dealing with that has come out of this pandemic, it has been the ability to just dispel the fact that certain roles absolutely cannot exist unless you're physically in the office. Because I think that widened and reintroduced ourselves to an incredibly talented workforce that felt that they needed to opt out. So this new combination of in the office and from home with roles that you know, were the same provides a lot of flexibility to really adopt procedures and plans to kind of make the most of these challenges that we're talking about today, right? Because we were so ingrained on thinking everybody's got to be in the office all the time for certain roles. And this healthy way of looking at it where you know there's a combination of has just widened our potential for success and for successful people that felt that they had to go pursue other careers because we weren't allowing them to do their careers now, right? And for men and women as well, right? Across the board. That the, for uh... men and women. It was a man that I had basically said, sorry, can't do it. And he wound up leaving. And excellent, excellent at what he did. But it was back then. Those were the days. Morgan, any messages that we want to leave some of our listeners who are in leadership positions in their organizations or just generally are focused on this topic? What do we want them to take away? Yeah, well, I was just thinking about one thing, listening to John and Craig talk and the importance of the communication around the business case is real. It's important. We have to do it. But I want to give one caveat in that there's a tendency to want to draw 
a solid line immediately and quickly between women hired and profitability. And if we can't get there, then we can't demonstrate that these initiatives have been good for business. And just to flag that there are a lot of other business performance indicators that are incredibly important that are not hard for an organization to measure. Craig at one point mentioned turnover and retention. So as you change the composition of management teams, is turnover and retention changing? As Craig said, those costs have real impact for your bottom line or employee satisfaction on teams, looking at your teams that are led by men, your teams that are led by women. What is the happiness factor of those teams? We know that happy employees work harder, they're more productive, they're not afraid to put in the hours when they're feeling good about their employer and their team and their place in the world. So just to flag that those are other important things that folks can measure and hopefully the profitability measurement comes in time. Yeah, that's a great point. One of the things I should have mentioned earlier too is that as sort of leaders and CEOs, look, we don't know everything that needs to be known about how to get from where we are today to a better, more diverse and more interesting structure going forward. So we've asked for help. You know, we've had some consultants come in. We're going to have more people working with us going forward. You know, we're doing things like trying to think about how to restructure our website to make us look like we're a more interesting place to work because we are like everyone else is. We put your website together and you kind of make it as agnostic as possible. And that's not necessarily the right way to go about doing it. I think the other thing as it relates to the business case that's really important is being in the institutional business, every one of our clients thinks about this. Every one of our clients cares about it. So at the very least, we better care about it, right? So I think that's a really important component of the business case too, is that if every one of your clients is asking you about how you're measuring it, how do you feel about it, and some of the soft things related to the things you're doing in order to address some of the challenges, we better be good at it and have a plan. Or the industry is changing and changing for the better in that regard, because now we're all holding each other accountable to get to a better place. I think that's a great place to end this, Craig. I think we're coming to an end of our time here. So it's a great topic. I feel like we're only scratching the surface and there's a lot more that we could be talking about. But I'm hearing focuses as hiring strategies, thinking about candidate selection, how we're appealing to that diverse community in terms of the descriptions of our organizations and our hiring techniques, but also ultimately the industry and the organization's culture and how we can be companies of choice for diverse candidates. And the message has to come from the top with irrefutable evidence on the benefits and managing resistance along the way. Thank you all for your time. I hope it was as insightful for our listeners as it was for me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks all. Thanks. Great seeing you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. And a big thank you to our featured speakers from this episode. And of course, all the active Women in Securities Finance members that are driving real change in our marketplace today. If you have ideas for future episodes or would like to get involved, please visit our website or you can contact Women in Securities Finance via LinkedIn. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and do not reflect the views or opinions of their respective employer organizations. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal, tax, or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. 